0: So we've been working our way through the I Am passages in the book of John, and the next two, as we kind of work our way through, are so close in proximity in the text there in John chapter 10, and they're so closely tied thematically that what I've opted to do is treat them um, in in two sermons that are serving as sort of a part one and part two kind of thing. So this week will be part one, and the next week will be part two, um, and, and you might be a little Discouraged to hear that I won't actually even get to either of the I am statements this morning. Um, In my preparation time this week, um, I dove into beginning here in verse one. I didn't get past verse five, and the first I am statement doesn't begin until verse seven. So uh, we'll be dealing with both I am statements next Sunday in part two of this uh, two part sermon here, and and that's not how I planned it. I didn't. Uh, when I sat down weeks ago and was sort of mapping out sort of the roadmap for this sermon series, this is not what I had in mind. So I hope you will forgive me for uh, deviating from, from the plan. I, I tried to just be faithful to the Lord as he leads in my preparation time, and so uh, I was not freed to leave verses 1 through 5. So that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to camp out here for just a little bit. I'm going to be reading uh, John 10, uh, 1 through 5 here in just a moment. Uh, and then next week we'll pick up in verse six and conclude with verse eighteen. Now I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, around the time of his anniversary, that my dad um, was promoted to heaven five years ago, back in February. And at the time that he passed away, his pastor at, at the church where he attended, his name—well, uh, it still is his name because he's still alive—was uh, Kevin Pease. Kevin Pease, and I had never met Kevin, um, but in in those days where Um, I was able to go and be with dad for the last four or five days of his life. He was in a hospice facility there in Columbus, Ohio. And each of the days that I was there, Pastor Kevin would come in and he would spend just a few minutes just chatting with the family and reading scripture and praying with us. And he would counsel with my mom. And um, it was just a really, really sweet ministry to my family. Um, The day before dad died, Pastor Kevin stopped by and after visiting for a bit, he told us that he, he had to run because he uh, was going to be late for a birthday dinner. And when we asked him whose birthday, just casually, you know, just making chit-chat and showing interest in what he was saying, he reluctantly revealed that it was his own. That he had uh, c- traveled all the way up to Columbus to, just for a, a quick visit with my family to check, in on, us, check in, on, in on us. And he did it on his birthday. And there was something about that that really... Uh, left an impression on my heart. I, I had never heard him preach a single sermon, and yet somehow I could sense in his heart just a, a yieldedness and a, a love for, for God. Later on, um, I sent him a note just thanking him and trying to affirm just his role in ministry that that, uh, that he was living into the, the calling of God upon his life and that he was making a difference. And every year around the time of the anniversary of my dad's passing, uh, I see on my Facebook feed, you know, Kevin's birthday pops up. And I, I'm just reminded again and again of his example to me as a pastor. It's amazing the power that a pastor has in affecting both great good and great harm in the lives of people, isn't it? 19th century Scottish churchman James Stalker says this, and I think there's something to this. He says, the higher the honor attached to the, profe- the ministerial profession, so the higher the honor attached to the ministerial profession when it is worthily filled, the deeper is the abuse of which it is capable, capable in comparison with other callings. And that's a loaded statement for someone like me who dares to stand up here week after week and open God's word and prays. And preach with you faithfully listening and opening your heart to the things that I am saying. And, and beyond that, in the, the days in between Sundays when, when we interact together and as the members of this church, um, I, I sense in this uh, a tremendous weight, a, a, pr- a pressure um, as as a pastor. We've all seen the destruction. We've all seen the fallout of leaders who abuse their position or abuse their power for their own advantage, people being led astray by false teachings and heresies, lives and families and churches reduced to rubble by poor leadership or bad choices. But hopefully, each of us have also experienced, at some point in our lives, the blessing of a leader who, like Pastor Kevin, truly has a heart for the Lord and his flock, I know I've experienced that in my life. I'm, I know there have been many great pastors that precede me here. I know you've experienced that in your life. If you've come here from a church where you haven't experienced that, um, my hope and prayer is that at some level you do hear, that you, you sense that, that the people that have called of God to lead here um, have a heart for the Lord and have a heart for you. But this, this message is not about me this morning in any way. And I, and I feel like I owe you a little disclaimer as we get into the text. Nothing that, I'm, that I have to say here about uh, shepherds, under shepherds, thieves and robbers, which are the things Jesus is going to be talking about in these verses. None of these things here are meant to be in any way, any sort of commentary on myself or the, the, the ministry of this church. On the contrary, I feel the pressure, like I said, of the challenges and the warnings of this text. So if there's anything that I feel is personalized for me, it's the, it's the warnings that are issued for people in my position. But any of the rest of the stuff is not about me, okay? And I want to just make that very clear. Or about anyone else here. I, I just want to preach what the, what the word of the Lord says. I want to be faithful. I want to preach it rightly. I want to understand it rightly. I want to preach it faithfully. And I think you know my heart in these matters, and I think this little disclaimer will probably make a little more sense to you as we dive into our text and get into the heart of the message. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 10, if you grabbed a guest Bible, we're on page 862. And as I already mentioned, I'm going to be reading uh, just the first five verses here of the passage uh, this morning. John chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 1. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate... "'must surely be a thief and a robber. "'But the one who enters through the gate "'is the shepherd of the sheep. "'The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, "'and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. "'He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. "'After he has gathered his own flock, "'he walks ahead of them, "'and they follow him because they know his voice. "'They won't follow a stranger. "'They will run from him because they don't know his voice.'" Now, the metaphors that Jesus introduces here, um, as always, because Jesus is the master teacher, he always knew how to connect and build bridges with the people that he was teaching or speaking to. The metaphors that he, he begins to use here would have been very familiar to the people of his day. His audience knew all about, and they understood, and they connected with the, the idea of, of, of keeping sheep. And this illustration that he presents to us is one that's drawn from real life. It's, it, it, people would have been familiar with the idea of, of a sheepfold or a pen uh, where, where sheep would be kept. Uh, and, and oftentimes it would be multiple herds that would be kept in a single pen because it would, families would share this communal space. But, it, but in any case, the, the sheepfold um, that would house the sheep was accessed through a gate or a door. And a hired gatekeeper or Perhaps better understood, an under shepherd there in verse 3 would guard the gate. Now, the primary message of the passage, I think, is, is fairly obvious to us. It's fairly simple. It's, it's simply that those who don't have the authorization, those who don't have the ownership, those who have no business being with the sheep, um, they don't go through the gate, do they? No, they, they avoid the gate, and they crawl over the wall, and they, they come in secretly, and, and through, uh, you know, through, through the, the darkness, and through the, the, the improper channels and avenues, because their intentions are impure. In contrast, the shepherd, who knows the sheep, and who's also known by the sheep and the gatekeeper, well, he leads the sheep through the door, in and out, to find provision, to find security, to find all that they need for, for life. Now, in order to better understand what Jesus is saying, it helps, as always, to take it in context. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but ask yourself if you remember what just took place in chapter 9. Now, we weren't in chapter 9 last week, so if you forgot a few weeks back when we were in chapter 9, that's forgivable. Um, back in chapter 9, the entire chapter deals with the story of Jesus healing the blind man. And and I don't think for a second that that account in chapter 9 is meant to be taken as com- something completely independent from what he's talking about here in chapter 10. And in, in, in fact, at the end of this passage about the good shepherd and his sheep, down there in verses 19 and 20 and 21, somewhere, somewhere in there, John himself, the writer of this gospel, is going to make reference to Jesus healing the blind in order to tie this passage with the one that came before it so that we don't miss what Jesus is saying here. Here Jesus is talking about shepherds and sheep and under shepherds and thieves and robbers. And it comes right after an entire story that John gives us about religious leaders and their mistreatment of the flock. Don't miss the connection. The context of nine is essential to understanding the meaning of chapter 10. Do you remember how the blind man was treated? Do you remember how uncompassionate they were? Do you remember how harsh they were? Do you remember how unmerciful they were to this man? Jesus had had found him. Jesus had healed him. People began to talk. The word spread. And next thing you know, instead of the religious leaders celebrating what God had done, giving God glory and helping this man see the the truth behind what had happened in his life and leading him into the, the fullness of all that God had for him next, instead they put together a grand inquisition and they put him before a tribunal before kicking him out of the synagogue, that context is absolutely essential to understanding what Jesus is saying here at the beginning of chapter 10. Never once was their interest in the glory of God. Never once was their interest in the well being of the sheep. No, it was only ever in the preservation of their own power and position. And John wants the readers of his gospel, when they come to chapter 10, to view the leaders back in chapter 9, and really all throughout his gospel, as exhibit A of Jesus' teaching about thieves and robbers robbers who seek to destroy the sheep there in chapter 10. Their illegitimacy lies in the fact that they don't care for the people that have been entrusted to them, but only view them as people to use and to abuse for their own ends. And and in in light of what we've already said about the the significance of of the ministerial profession, there's nothing more destructive than when someone steps into a position of authority and abuses that authority at the expense of the sheep. It's devastating. And it's on Jesus' mind, and it's on John's mind because it matters. And the things Jesus says here are an ongoing indictment against the things that that God has said about the false shepherds of his flock all the way back into the Old Testament. Take, for example, Ezekiel 34. I think it's going to be up on the screen there for you. Look, look, there's countless passages we could turn to here, but look in Ezekiel 34. Look what God has to say through his prophet concerning these false shepherds here, beginning in verse 1. Then the message came to me from the Lord, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. And Because these false shepherds took care of themselves and left the sheep to starve and to suffer and to stray, the Lord will say in verse 10, I now consider these shepherds my enemies. And I will hold them responsible for what they, what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock, and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. You see, God Himself will hold false shepherds accountable. He Himself will rescue His flock, and that is a great hope of optimism for all of us. By the way, I'm a sheep too. <laughs> I need a shepherd too. We all need a shepherd. And it is such, it's such, a, it's such a delight and a hope to our hearts to know that God himself is our shepherd. God himself has come in the person of his son. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one who has come to make right what the leaders of Israel have gotten wrong. He is the one that has come to seek and to save the lost and provide all the nourishment and protection that, the sheep, that his sheep need. And we will get more and more into this in the, in the next week as we dive into what it means when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. When Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep. But before we get there, I want to see what he has to say about those under shepherds that, that God has given his people and those false shepherds who have not done what they've been called to do. God himself will come. And has come. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Ezekiel will continue to say there in verse 11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will banish the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them with justice. Jesus is the true shepherd of Israel, and his flock are all who belong to God. But while Jesus is the true shepherd, which we'll dive more into next week as I've already said, he tends his flock today through undershepherds. He tends his flock through undershepherds. Look at what he says. look at what, said, look at what the, the scriptures say throughout just the New Testament, just a, just a handful of places, a, a few among many places that we could go, go to. What, is, what does Jesus say to Peter in John 21? You know, Peter has, has fallen, Peter has, has failed, Peter has denied Jesus, and when Jesus encounters Peter on the, on the seashore that day, what does he say to him? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Then do what? Feed my sheep. Not, do you want to make a name for yourself? Do you want to have all the, the comforts and the, the perks of leadership? Do you want people to look up to you, Peter? No. What is the motivation behind Jesus' calling upon Peter's life? Peter, do you love me? And if you love me, then you'll love the things that I love. And you'll care for the things that I care about. And you'll give yourself away after the same manner as I. If you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. Paul's going to pick up on this theme and talk about it in his final message to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where he tells the leaders of the church in Ephesus, guard yourselves and God's people. You're a guardian. Guardian does what? A guardian stands in the gap between the flock and danger. The guardian puts their life on the line for the sake of what God cherishes. Guard yourselves. Guard." Guard God's people. Guard the flock. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. God himself is the giver of the gift of the pastorate. He is the giver. The, sh- the good shepherd is the giver of the under-shepherd. And the Spirit of God anoints men and women to fulfill this calling upon their lives for the sake of the flock. Guard yourselves Guard God's people, the ones he purchased with his own blood. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, Peter shares what he calls a word. I have a word for you fellow elders here throughout the the regions to which I am writing my letter. I have a word for you. Just as I am an elder, you are an elder, he says. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Listen, those are, those are profound words. Talk about a lesson in leadership. That, that's a, that is a, a whole seminary course right there in two verses. And here's the thing, though, church. Despite the behavior that, that I have seen in some pastors' lives, in the ways that some whole churches treat their pastors, the role of pastor is not one of king or despot. Some pastors think that that their job is to build their own little kingdom where they, they have control over everything. They do everything their way. Every, every color on the wall, every every type of seat cushion, every song that is sung, everything about the church goes through him because he is the king. In place of the king. And never is the pastor presented like that in the scriptures. Some churches treat, some some churches coronate their pastors. It's all, it's, it's like, it's the pastor show. It's all about them. You know, it was, it was interesting. This just came to my mind. Last week we we prayed for Philip and Terry Johnson. When they first came here. <laughs> I think I can tell this story. (laughs) It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I think that's how it goes. When they first came here, they um, they were really captured by Pastor Bill's preaching. Pastor Bill's preaching was exceptional. I love I love him. I love his ministry. I love his preaching. And they they wanted to know more about the church because they were interested in joining the church. And so, um, so they reached out and and. Pastor Bill and I together agreed to, hey, let's, let's go to Panera one day and let's you know, get coffee and talk about, talk about your lives and get to know each other and talk about the church. And, and so we put it on the calendar, and um, Pastor Bill then said, hey, well, before we go get, meet them for coffee, how about you and I go to lunch? I was like, okay, cool. So we'll go. we went to Dragon Buffet. <sighs> that probably wasn't very fair. I'm sorry. I've eaten there many times, and I would consider eating there again, maybe someday, if the Holy Spirit led me. Um, so we went to lunch, and he wanted to tell to break the news to me that he and Diane were leaving. That's how I found out. Now, look at the timing. <laughs> we're getting ready to go and talk to these prospective members, new, new people to the church, about the church, but this was like ultra-secret information that no one else knew but me at this point. And it was... It was really awkward for me. and But we did. We went and we, we talked. We didn't say a word about what Bill told me. We talked about the church. We were honest about everything. We didn't hide anything. We just didn't tell everything. Well, it was the, like the very next week when Bill and Diane shared with you that they were leaving. And I'll never forget, Phil <laughs> and Terry, they came up to me and they're just like, And here's what I told him. Here's what I told him. I said, view this as a great opportunity to pick a church not based on who's preaching on Sunday. Because whoever is occupying this space is not your shepherd. Jesus is your shepherd. So do not treat me or anyone else in your life who occupies this position of, there is authority here, there is leadership here. Don't ever treat someone like this as your king or your shepherd or anything else. Because too many churches have done that, and that is a recipe for disaster. There is only one king, there is only one shepherd, and it is not me or anyone else here. And Philip and Terry took that to heart, and they entered into the church without knowing who the next pastor would even be. It was months before we had any sense. And, and you saw. Did you see the community around them last week? That's where, why you pick a church. A place where you can enter into the fellowship of God's people. His, his spirit is present in his people. Not in just a single person. And their lives have been forever changed because of you. Not because of any one person preaching on Sunday morning. It was beautiful. The Bible never projects the pastorate as, as that. No, it is always servant leader, under shepherd. And just like the Old Testament, the New Testament is not disinterested in or oblivious to the reality of false shepherds. Their existence, not just for the early church that had all sorts of struggles with this, but for us today, the existence of false shepherds in the world is not a speculation. It is a promise. There will be false shepherds. There will be false messiahs. There will be false prophets. There will be false teachers in your life. Jesus himself in Mark 13, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one not just deceiving the unbeliever out there. They come into the fold over the gate, over the wall, not through the gate. They come in and they have nefarious plans and purposes and designs and they want nothing more than to do things that result in their own gain at your expense. Watch out for them. I have warned you about this ahead of time, Jesus says. Paul's going to echo this. In the very next words, he says to the, Ephesians, the Ephesian elders that I read to you there from Acts chapter 20. So he tells them to guard yourselves, guard the flock, and then he says this, false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. The people that the New Testament is concerned about are not only false in their lessons, but false in their lives. Second Peter 2, 1 and 3, there, will, there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you, today they will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them in this way they will bring sudden destruction on themselves listen to this next line many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality their teaching but their immorality there's different types of false shepherds some lead astray this way some lead astray this way And because of these false teachers, 2 Peter 2 says, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, Ezekiel 34 does it, and their destruction will not be delayed. So yes, destructive heresies and evil teaching, we absolutely need to be on guard against that. Day and night, watch out, never rest Never, never just take anything anyone says to you without questioning, and, I, and that includes everything I ever say to you. I hope every one of you, is being a Bible student, as I'm preaching these messages, that you're searching the scriptures, that you're listening to the Spirit as He gives you insight and as He brings clarity to your heart of what the, what the Word of God means. The Holy Spirit always superintends the reading and the proclaiming of His Word, but I'm not infallible. I'm not perfect. I can misunderstand things or not see something complete. And so we need one another to be guarded against destructive heresies and and false teachings. But not only that, not only watch out for destructive heresies and evil teaching, but watch out for those who are motivated by the things Peter says here, greed, sensuality, and pride. Or in, in even more layman's terms than that, sex, money, and power. Sex, money, and power. Believe it or not, there are false shepherds whose motivation behind all they do in a pulpit or in a counseling session or on a missions trip is motivated by money, sex, and power. And those are issues not pertaining to teaching in terms of the the actual messages on Sunday morning. Don't Don't judge me or any other pastor or shepherd in your life just by what they say, Judge them by how they live. Those issues of greed and sensuality and pride, those are matters pertaining to character and conduct. It's nothing to do with the things they say on a Sunday morning. We are to watch out for the words they speak and the words they live. And Jesus speaks to this in Matthew chapter 7. That should be on the screen for you. I know I'm bouncing around a lot. I hope you're able to keep up with where I am in the word back to Jesus here again in Matthew 7 listen to what he says in verses 15 to 20 beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves listen the the wolf and sheep clothing thing is real it's hard to detect a wolf when it looks just like you isn't it you can identify them how Jesus by their fruit That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce good fruit. I'm sorry. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. In other words, the true test is not just in their teaching. It's in their living. While they may not lead astray with their words, they can absolutely lead astray with their actions. And it will only be by the fruit of their lives that they will be known for what they really are. This is a big deal to God. (laughs) Because, as as we've already seen, God died for his flock. He, he He gave himself that you would live, that you would be. And because he loves you so much, he cares that much. It's not a small deal when, when someone enters into his, his sheep's presence over the wall. And it's not a small deal to me. Don't think for a second that this pastor here isn't concerned about the presence of false teachers in the world who threaten to enter the pen by climbing over the wall. Whether it's peddlers of prosperity or prophets of political cults. The internet has given all of us this unlimited access to a a world of voices right in the palm of our hands. And yes, there's great good here. There's, there's There's a rich treasury of solid, biblical, godly teaching that you have access to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But just as rich of a treasury, as exists on the internet, so too is there as deep a sewer of nonsense at your disposal. And I'm not suggesting we should stop listening to everybody. <laughs> we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are so many good teachers out there. I I benefit greatly from from so many Bible teachers out there and people who have great things to say but, but at the end of the day here's, here's where I'm going you cannot really know a person without some sort of personal connection to them so yes benefit benefit from the treasury but be careful be careful I don't know about you but I was shaken to the core to the core and still am by the allegations against Ravi Zacharias a few months after he died back in 2020. To the core, never in a million years would I have ever imagined something like that would come out about him. Now, none of us were there. None of us know what is ultimately true, do we? And that's the point. If nothing else, the the whole scenario around the, the allegations made against him tell us this, that at the end of the day, as good as a teacher he may be, none of us know what was really going on in his life. So yes, accept the teaching, but guard your heart. Because you don't know. You don't know him. You don't know what he's, what he's capable You don't know what's in his heart. You don't know what he's capable of. Or anybody out there, for that matter. And I'm not trying to sow fear or suspicion into your hearts towards other prominent Christian voices out there. I'm just trying to make the point that what we need in our lives is more than some disembodied voice coming over a speaker. You and I need a person, we both need a personal relationship with someone we can trust our hearts with. They may not be the best speaker, (laughs) and probably aren't, but you know their heart You and I need that in our lives because it's only then that we can safely submit our minds and our hearts to to someone we actually can trust because we know them. The greatest defense against false teaching is a local church community, a church that knows and believes and trusts in God's word, a church community that will know its leaders that the leaders aren't sequestered off in some sort of like holy encampment that you never have access to, but, but ones that you have access to their lives and you can see the fruit and you can hold them accountable to the truths of what they say and how they live. That's the only guard against false teachers is personal access to their lives. And I want to caution you. Again, I've, I've met my disclaimer in the beginning. I, I'm not trying to make any of this about myself I'm trying to preach what the word is telling us about what we need and what matters to God. And I want to tell you, in, after the, the heart of Jesus himself, don't give yourself over to someone you don't know. Don't do it. I've seen this firsthand, and it breaks my heart. Good-hearted people with sincere intentions buying the ideas of people that they don't know personally. I mean, I'm not talking about just like listening and and discerning like the good things from the bad things. I'm talking wholesale embracing every single word that drops out of their mouths. Never questioning it. Just soaking it up day after day, night after night, hour upon hour, listening to these false teachers fill their minds and their hearts with garbage that sounds like something delicious. And they soak it up and they absorb it and they listen without questioning to these voices, all the while ignoring the voices of the ones God gave them in their lives to care for them. Who may not have the most eloquent explanation for everything, but that's not what you need. We as sheep do not need some silver tongued prophet, you need a pastor. I need a pastor who will come alongside of your life and care for you under the shepherding of Jesus. There are rich treasures of solid biblical teaching available to the church today, but oh, is there a, also a super abundance of false shepherds and prophets galore who only care about what they can get and not about what they can give. Watch out. The exhortation of the scripture's For the sheep who belong to God is to entrust your heart and your mind to Jesus. I can't say that enough. Entrust your mind and your heart to Jesus, the good shepherd. The one who tends the flock. The one who feeds the flock. The one who secures the flock. Not through hired hands who cower and quit and run away when times get tough. Not through the thieves and robbers who are only motivated by sex and money and greed. No, he tends and feeds and secures his flock through devoted under shepherds who will stick with you in the good and in the bad. Who don't run off when times get hard. People who will visit you in the hospital and counsel you through your marriage struggles and baptize your children and comfort your family when you're gone. Yes, the ones who rightly divide the word of truth, but the ones who also live it out rightly day in and day out. The ones who, because of their proximity to the sheep, smell like sheep. Why do you think shepherds got such a bad rap in their time? Well, they were gross. (laughs) They were dirty and they smelled and they were rough. Because why? Because they lived among the sheep. Listen, no one smelled like sheep more than Jesus. He didn't come with just fancy words that impressed the masses. No, he stepped into the stuff as deep as it would go, as deep as it took. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty in the lives of people, entering into their messes and exposing himself to their diseases. And yes, at times, his words are hard. Very hard. Don't think for a second that I don't feel, uh, it's the third time I've said it now. This is like one of the hardest passages for me as a pastor to read because I'm constantly comparing myself. Am I a a thief and a robber? God, cleanse my heart. Make it pure that I'm not motivated by anything but love for you, ever. How am I living up to the the call as an under-shepherd? And I know it's not perfect. It never will be perfect. But it has to be more than just good enough. The words of Jesus are hard. And he called people to the the costly kind of life that meant giving it all away. It's the only kind of life that honors God but because of the way that he lived among people and ministered to people and entered into their lives, because he gave himself away in self-giving love, not just on a cross, but moment by moment of his entire earthly existence. Because of that, people knew that behind the hard words was a heart that was true. Trust the leadership and the authority and the teaching of people like that people who smell like sheep, and more importantly, people who smell like Jesus. The most important people in my life reeked of Jesus. People who were there with me when I struggled with sin or struggled with fear or was walking in darkness or doubt. People who came into my life, they didn't do it from a distance. They came right up next to me. And they smelled like Jesus. People who know him and love him and spend time with him have even come to resemble him. Whose whole lives are a living sacrifice, a fragrant offering to God. Nothing smells better than that. Ones who will faithfully open the shepherd's gate to your life. And trust your heart to that. This is who I sense Pastor Kevin to be that, that, uh, that afternoon, the day before my dad died. As he didn't know me from anybody. I'd never met him before that week. And yet he came to where I was, in arguably the hardest week of my life. In the, the valley of the shadow of death, he came right up next to me and he smelled just like Jesus. And he opened the gate to the good shepherd, the one who knows his sheep. Kevin didn't know me, but the good shepherd knows me. And he knows you. He knows you by name. And when you hear his voice, you know it. Listen for his voice in every word those in authority over you ever say. And if you don't hear it, beware. Oh, but if you hear it, open your heart to it. Because you're opening your heart to him the one who gathers his sheep and leads them in and out. The ones that open the the gate to the good shepherd for you are under shepherds that can be trusted. But beware of the false shepherds whose teachings and lives reveal they're only in it for themselves. Instead, accept and submit to Christ's provision of servant leaders who are only in it for your good and the glory of God. Yes, hold them accountable always (laughs) to complete fidelity to the word and purity of the heart. But if they smell like Jesus, trust in their care. Trust in their care. I hope this is a word from the Lord for your heart today. And I hope it brings you hope and confidence and joy that God is providing for the needs of his sheep. Let's give him thanks together as we go to prayer and close in a, a song. Lord, we thank you that you love the people who belong to you to the point of death. You love the whole world. The world belongs to you. But only those who respond to your call can, can enter into the, the sheepfold. And we'll talk more next week about how you are the only access to it. And you are the only one who provides what we really need. But it is enough for us today to, to just thank you that You've demonstrated your love for us on the cross. And out of that same love, you've provided people to, to serve on your behalf and to carry out your work in this world. And we together get to be your people. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to be wary. Help us to, to examine everything for its, its truthfulness not according to how we feel or what we think is right, but according to the truth of your word. May we all r- remain ever open to the Holy Spirit's influence and guidance and discernment and impression upon our hearts so that we don't become prey to the wolves in sheep's clothing. And Lord, I pray that if there's any among us with, with false motives or intentions, that you would hold them, hold them accountable and pursue their hearts and shine light on the darkness. And may this be a a church community that together is about your glory and the things that you are, are all about in this world. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time we've had together. Bless these remaining moments, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.